Welcome to the first episode of the podcast, Brook USA on the Road. Our mission at Brook USA is to significantly improve the welfare of working horses, donkeys, and mules, and the people they serve throughout Asia, Africa, the Middle East, the Americas, and the Caribbean by raising funds and responsibly directing them to the areas of greatest need. Brook USA connects private philanthropists with their passion for helping relieve the suffering of working equines and their owners. In each podcast episode, you'll hear a report from one of our board members on the current initiatives for our organization. You'll also enjoy updates from our Brook USA ambassadors, who range from top-level international writers to best-selling authors. In our first episode, we'll speak with John Nicholson, chairman of the nonprofit's board of directors and former executive director of the Kentucky Horse Park. We'll also sit down with Brook USA ambassadors, Grand Prix dressage rider J.J. Tate and Olympic bronze medalist Allison Brock. Hello and welcome to Brook USA on the Road, the official podcast of Brook USA. I'm your host, Julianne Neal, and in today's inaugural episode, you'll have the opportunity to learn more about Brook USA, a nonprofit board-led organization dedicated to alleviating the suffering of working equines and the people they serve in the developing world. Our first guest is actually the perfect person to introduce us all to the organization. John Nicholson, the chairman of the board of directors, has had the difficult task of leading Brook USA's efforts in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic and still works to be ready whenever the need arises. John, thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Julianne, and it's um, it's an honor to be on the very first podcast of uh, Brook <laughs> USA on the Road. Well, good. This is uh, a very special, a very uh, special night, very special time. Well, it is to me too, and I, I have to admit, when I was speaking with Emily and um, Amanda and Kendall, we were trying to decide, okay, how we, how do we kick this off? And the, it was unanimous. Everybody said, "You've got to talk to John Nicholson. He's the board chair, and um, he's the one that can tell everybody the most about what's going on in the organization." So, and I know you're traveling, so thanks for taking your time off from from being on the road to speak with us on the road. Well, absolutely, and and uh, I'm looking forward to it, and appreciate the opportunity. And Emily and Amanda and Kendall are are uh, and with our other staff are just extraordinary people. They and, really uh, are. I, 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 you you would you would appreciate that having talked to them. Uh, this is a special this is a special team for sure. Well, I could tell the creative juices were just flowing. The first person I talked to is actually Amanda, and the, I got excited just from her excitement. So, so I think um, it's you've got you've got great folks on board for sure. Um, speaking of great folks, you have like a history of having incredible teams surrounding you, and I think that has to do with your leadership. Right. I mean, you took over the reins <laughs> at the Kentucky Horse Park like in 1997, mid 90s. Is that right? Yes, that's that, that, that's about right. Gosh, it um, time flies <laughs> <laughs> when you're having yeah. fun. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Well, you had about 16, 17 years there. And I mean, longest serving executive director of the park. And this was during this incredible period of growth. Um, just from the things that I know of, which I know this is not everything, but you brought in the 2010 Alltech FEI World Equestrian Games and this, you know, $500 million worth of viewers. First time outside of Europe, um, the impact on the state's economy was just 
amazing. So how did that sort of come about? I'll, t- I'll tell you, I won't make this, um, you know, the war and peace version. This will be the <laughs> quick okay, Reader's okay. Digest version. But I, I worked for uh, an organiza- organization called Equitana USA in the in the uh, early and mid-90s. Uh, Equitana huge festival, mm-hmm. an equestrian festival that goes on for a couple of weeks in Essen, Germany. Mm-hmm. And through the course of that, I did, uh, for the really first time in my life, I did extensive traveling, you know, a lot in Europe where I was able to witness a, the second World Equestrian Games. Mm-hmm. And then throughout, you know, throughout Europe and then throughout the United States and, you know, uh, state horse, fe- you know, festivals and state horse council uh, gatherings and and it. And I had worked at the Kentucky Horse Park in my late 20s as the director of operations. And it occurred to me, we need to expand our thinking. We could do a World Equestrian Games, first of all, in the United States, which would have been unheard of. But mm-hmm. then in the Midwest United States, not in Los Angeles or not in, in New York or somewhere, you know, New York or Chicago, but in the true Midwest of the United States and Kentucky. And it's just something that it was always in the back of my mind. And when I had the opportunity to return to Kentucky and, and be the executive director there, you know, I, I remember telling people, we need to um, take the guardrails of our imagination off and we need to think big. Um, and, and at that time, the Kentucky Horse Park was still, it had done some big things with the uh, you know, world championships somewhat, but it really still was a regional, you know, a regional center. And um, so I'll tell you that just to cut to the chase, Julianne, it was a 10 year effort. Mm. And I mean, there was a lot of persuasion that had to be done. We had to convince the Europeans who are the cent, you know, the central part of the equestrian world internationally um, that it was a good idea to leave their continent, which was not, um, not the majority opinion at the time. I'm sure we had, we had an interesting um, several years discussion with the USDA that we were going to have to uh, change the uh, restrictions on the import of equines. Mm. Um, and, And it took a lot of, research veterinary research we had the best in the world on infectious diseases and at the end of the day everybody looked at the evidence and we were able to to modify um the the protocols to enter the united states uh for you know international horses from all over the world Mm -hmm. and so these these were the challenges but once we were once we took on this that our, our, our team, and it was over three political administrations, it was really, really, uh, you know, an interesting and challenging process. But at the end of the day, uh, we were able uh, to do what I think most people consider to be a really remarkable um, World Equestrian Games in 2010, mm-hmm. also coming right out of the Great Recession, which was not easy. Right. And... Um, there was a wonderful company called Alltech, which that that company still has the name on the arena, on the arena. at the Kentucky Horse Park. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and a wonderful man named Pierce Lyons, Dr. Pierce Lyons, who owned the company, and we brought in a lot of partners and 
um, it just it just went off really well. And the, the point of that is that by having and this is it's this is going to relate to Brooke USA, mm-hmm. taking the guardrails off our imagination and by being by persevering and uh, building partnerships and um, not being discouraged um, that what happened was that the horse park through a period of years with this effort was funded at the, at a much greater level that could not have been dreamed of when we started the whole project. Some really it's between 85 and a hundred million dollars were invested in the Kentucky horse park over not so many years and it transformed the park. And it was, so it wasn't just a 17 day international competition that happened with the world equestrian games. Uh, the 18th day was the best day because it set uh, our organization in Kentucky up for success for a long time to come. Right. And I, and I think that's what we're going to see with Brook USA. As a matter of fact, you, we're already seeing it. There is no, you can't put too much of emphasis and value upon the concept of momentum. And, um, you know, I know it's hard to talk about great momentum in the COVID-19 era, but that's, you know, the world will return at one point. And this momentum that we have established in really only, what, four and a half years, um, it'll it'll re-rev up as it was going uh, when uh, the world changed the spring. Before things changed, exactly. And I believe that that your impetus in starting all of that and and getting – everything off the ground there led to the rest of the things that have happened since. You know, we had the World Equestrian Games in Tryon, and now Equitana is is going online. I guess we've got a virtual thing um, getting ready for that. And so just opening the yeah. door for these international competitions to come in and showing That's that it right. could be done. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm proud that we were able to, to break down the door so that having World Equestrian Games and other venues in the United States will not be, be seen, or, or whatever world championships, will not be seen as something strange and bizarre as it would have been, um, you know, a, a couple of dozen years ago. And I believe so, that it's, it's your, like I said, your leadership that, that, or your vision maybe is the better word for it. Um, I read that you, you brought in the... You you had a family dinner. You just threw out there, yeah. Let's um call the Chinese government and see if we can bring in this major imperial China, the art of the horse in Chinese history thing, or <laughs> or let's call Queen Elizabeth and bring in all the Queen's horses. So you definitely have that history of thinking outside the box and um, having a vision for something that other people wouldn't really believe is attainable. So as as a leader for Brook USA, they're lucky to have you on board for sure. Well, that that's nice and part of it. <clears throat> is the wonderful naivete of naivete of youth. <laughs> but the, the key thing is there, it, it's healthy to have a certain naivete forever. Yes. Um, and that yes. way I go back to what I said. You, you have to expand your imagination as to all the things that are, that are possible. And that's why I've been so honored to be a part of Brook USA as, as uh, a board member and, and this year as the, as the board chair, because uh, 
I think we've surrounded ourselves with people, not the least of which is Emily Dullen, who refuses, um, like I do and others do, to, to say this is as far as we can go. Well, they're, they're really, we're not going to put those limits on ourselves. Exactly. And so you sort of fell into the leadership role, a chairman of the board in the midst of the pandemic. I mean, do you have you had to kind of think <laughs> of other ways of address? Like normally, I'm sure you would have these grand events, and um, it's it's all, I guess, virtual, like the rest of the world. So what are you yeah. doing? What are you well, doing? you know, it you know it's a very sobering, you know, outlook. Um, but fortunately, as we were saying before, there's there is a very very creative staff um, at at Brook USA who immediately this was not something that evolved immediately were ready to do that kind of thinking out of the box that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Our, our number one fundraiser is a, a fantastic event in in Wellington. Uh, the, the sunshine, I'm, I'm going to butcher the, you know, it's the sunshine and white polo polo and party. White party. Uh-huh. uh-huh. That's it. Yeah. I, I always yes. butcher up the, the sequence <laughs> of the words, but, but, but I'm, you know, I'm, I go, you know, I've been to it it's, every time. It's the thought. And yes. It's, yes. It is, it is really extraordinary. Um, you know, no matter what you've done, this would be quite unique and, mm. The more, the more important thing is that it raised a great deal of money. Uh, Catherine Canab is, is the leader of this within our, our board and the organizer and the spiritual guider mm-hmm. of that event. And we were we happened to be at a board meeting in Wellington when everything began to unravel. And that was a very difficult decision. I mean, it was an obvious decision as time you know, went on. But at the very beginning of all this, the idea of canceling our biggest fundraiser mm. was dawning, right. but immediately at least portions of it could be done virtually like the silent auction or the auction. And, and so, um, you know, when you're creative and you're very responsible about doing the right thing, you know, you end up protecting a lot of people's health. Um, and you, you know, we also, what happened is there was a lot less expenses oh, that's true. and then we still had a source of source of revenue. So while this was not a happy moment and I don't mean to say that, mm-hmm. um, the creativity of, of our group, um, I think mitigated what could have been, uh, much more serious. And so all this, so then I think therefore there was increased confidence in doing a lot of things virtually. And certainly that's the world that Brooke USA lives in right now. And um, one of the things I'm really proud about, Julianne, for our organization is that although this is not a good time for nonprofits, that uh, the aggressiveness, and I, and I mean that in a positive sense, mm-hmm. in other words, the hard work, yes. yeah, and the, the hard work and the creativity and the effort, that's, that's good, Julianne. That's exactly what I mean. <laughs> it, it, I don't think it waned a bit. If anything, it accelerated. And so, yes, donations are down, as they are for many. And, yes, we lost uh, what what is our most potent fundraiser. But we're still granting a lot of money. Um, and as a matter of fact, 
probably more than we, we would have otherwise because the need is greater. Exactly. Yeah. So lack of health care facilities, you know, the medical supplies aren't there. The rest of the world is, you know, trying to, to deal with COVID as well. So you, you actually have, a, you've launched a new fundraising campaign just around COVID. Is that right? A response yeah. recovery fund? Yes, there, there's um, what we've been able to do in the in the short term, and I and I congratulate the board for its um, willingness. Is essentially we're making what we call micro grants to organizations um, that are very that are very important that are consistent consistent with our mission. Maybe not totally the same thing, but consistent with our missions. That we're really in danger, that, that are in danger of just simply not being able to operate. Mm. And, 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 and what the board has been able to do is to, uh, I think, make more efficient the approval process in, in quick grants to, I think, mainly organizations in the Western Hemisphere, but not limit, limited to that. And, you know, I think that. Um, we have evidence of this, of the, of the great appreciation that exists when local organizations, for example, are are able to open up, you know, the mail. And I mean, it's, it's obviously a little more complicated than that. But all of a sudden to receive five thousand dollars mm. at, at the darkest moment. Yes. And, and especially locally, Julianne, that makes a big difference. Sure. And and it also has the additional effect of bringing a lot of a lot of organizations together uh, with Brooke USA showing a leadership role, and that, that's exactly the kind of the concept of building partnerships and building relationships with keeping the ultimate goal for Brooke USA and the other noble organizations that keep their their eye on the eventual. On the, on the eventual prize of helping um, helping um, donkeys and mules and equines around the world and the families and people that they serve. Well, and, and for so many of these families, the donkeys and mules and, and horses are the main source of income. And without them, you know, the family goes under just as the, as the donkey does. So. You, you know, um, that is such a, an important point. And, and I have to say that when I first began to be familiar with Brook USA um, and, and the original headquarters of the organization was at the Kentucky horse park. And in my waning days there before I retired from that, um, you know, we were making efforts to get, to, to get them there. Mm -hmm. But I obviously since then have really understood more and have internalized the absolute importance of what Brook USA does. You know, when you think of 600,000 people will wake up on this planet during the next 24 hours who are dependent on something like 100,000 working donkeys, mules, and equine. Mm. And um, sometimes it's, is I think we both could appreciate when we live in an affluent country and our experience in the equestrian world 
is of a certain type, it is sometimes difficult to feel connected with our fellow human beings and the other equines in the world who uh, maybe don't have luscious and luxurious stalls and sweet feet of hay and all the things that we love to do for our horses. And so it allows for a connection um, between us and people around the world that, that might have been harder to do were it not for the programs that Brook USA funds. And so, um, you know, I, I think you can't overemphasize how that affects people's lives. When you think about, think about the concept, Julianne, of that in, in much of the world, certainly in, for example, West Africa and other places like that, the female of the family is the decision maker. And they, all, they are dependent on their, their donkeys and mules to do things like make sure their children go to school. Right. And which is very important. That, that is when, when you gather the, those that benefit from the work that Brook USA does in the, and you kind of ask them, what is the most important thing for you? It's always overwhelmingly education from our, for our mm. children. And so I, I know it's to, to Western ears. Sometimes it may seem a little bit, a little bit, not something you would immediately think about, but being able to, to, to bring water back to your home. Uh, and as I said, to take your children to school and then the, the work, you know, the work that provides not very much money, but provides at least the ability to survive mm -hmm. um, are all dependent on these, on these equines. Right. And um, so it, it's gratifying that um, these people have somebody who's fighting for them and, and in a serious way, funding programs that have a direct impact on their lives. On daily life. Right. Yeah. Well, you have a $125,000 goal for this, um, this recovery fund, response and recovery fund. Do you believe right. at, at this point with everything going on, do you believe that's attainable? Yes. Um, yeah, well, yes, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have said it. If we, <laughs> I would expect we, nothing less from you. So, yeah. yes, you're not going to say that. You are not going to hear myself or our team say it's unattainable very right. often. Right. It had to be a pretty outlandish statement. There you go. So, but, but we, we've already been granting, you know, a lot of money. And as I said, we have granted probably more money during this time, even though our, our income is down, um, than, than we normally would have. And that's, of course, um, because the need arises. And, if, mm -hmm. and what good are we if we're not helping people when, the, when, they are, when the need is the greatest? And I'm sure the sister organization, Brooke, which is an international charity, is probably also in need and asking for money and other organizations with similar missions. So um, I think your grant program sounds like an amazing way of figuring out where the need's greatest and, um, and putting it in that, that location. Well, you know, obviously, because we have a, a shared heritage in the name Brooke, um, mm -hmm. 
and it, it's licensed to us, and it helps define much of our mission. And we are so proud that I think even in these very short years, we have granted $2 million mm-hmm. to, to uh, support uh, programs that are uh, operated or supported by um, Brooke. And so the, it's a collaborative effort. And the, the, the Brooke USA has kind of a, a very, obviously we have a very, we have a overall totally similar mission, but because of geography and, and geography is a part of it. And the fact that we have a relationship to countries in the Western hemisphere here, and we feel a responsibility to fund good programs um, in, in stressed parts of the United States mm-hmm. um, that often are affected by whether it be hurricanes or wildfires or other natural disasters. And then also to, to create, uh, to, to fund important organizations that are in Central and, and South America as well. I think that gives uh, a special added mission for Brook USA. Definitely. And I'm just so happy to know now that, that there is a Brook USA. Um, I did a little documentary piece for um, this, the SAVE organization, Save the Havasu Pack Animals, um, several years oh, ago. Yeah. And so, I mean, we do have needs right here in the United States. And so to, to have an organization like Brook USA and um, to be able to address so many different things, it's, it's just a a wonderful thing. I did see with her the hurricane that was coming last weekend. There was already something coming out from Brook USA about you know being able to to support. So that's a great thing. Well, I'm proud of our team that they, there's there's no pause mm-hmm. or no hand wringing. It's um, we're doing something important and we need to just we're going to do it and we're going to um, uh, we're not going to relent or be um, passive. Excellent. Well, and I hope that this podcast will help a little bit with increasing brand recognition in, in a small way and build a strong foundation of supporters as well because that's that's the key to, to being able to continue what you do for sure. Well, I'm sure it will. And, um, and it's really interesting from starting just a few years ago and then being able to do what we're able to do now is is remarkable and so many people deserve credit for it and um it it, even in the midst of the era we're living in i think there is a great sense of optimism about what brook usa is going to be able to do in the years ahead i believe it too and you know i i didn't mention earlier, but with all the awards and, and the recognitions and things that you have had with Eclipse Award and Equine Industry Vision from AHP and Horseman of the Year and all these things, um, I can just see there, there being more recognition because of the good work that Brook USA is doing and because of your leadership too. So um, what would you think is your highest achievement of all those or, or others that I've and, you know, you mentioned a minute ago, before you answer that, you said, when I retired a while back, well, you haven't really <laughs> retired. I mean, no, from that's, Kentucky that's, Horse Park to Virginia Horse Center. So, yeah. That's quite <laughs> misleading. The, the idea was that I was going to retire after I was been associated with, uh, with uh, the Horse Park and a, and a couple other things in state government for, 
for nearly 30 years and it was just time to do do something else so it, i retired and then the idea was i wanted to be a consultant to other facilities really anywhere in the world uh-huh. so that uh, and to be brutally honest i wanted to help but i didn't want to be up in the middle of the night getting phone calls you know about what's going wrong <laughs> so <laughs> How'd that work out for you? (laughs) Well, no. Well, the first, one of the first clients I had was the Virginia Horse Center in Lexington, Virginia, which I had had known of and visited one time in promoting the World Equestrian Games. uh, Oh, probably in two thousand eight or something like that. Uh And um, I had promised myself that I was never going to fall in love with a with an equestrian facility again. Mm-hmm. Um, because it takes years in off your life, but I couldn't help it. The, yeah. you know, the horse center was in a bit of distress and it was too important for our equestrian industry to let fail, to let it fail. Right. And, um, then we began to assemble a really remarkable team and they, you know, in a matter of one year, I went from a consultant to, uh, the CEO and then, you know, Julianne, it's that same concept that the power of momentum, you know, you start with a little of this and you get a little, you start building a relationship here or there. You build, frankly, some political support. And then when things look stable, you, you build uh, fundraising support. All this is similar to Brook USA. Exactly. And then you get excited uh, and enthusiastic about the success. And then success breeds success. Yes, it does. So it's it's been an adventure, and I've, I've I certainly admit that I very much love the Virginia Horse Center, and it's been a great chapter. It wasn't supposed to happen, but it did. <laughs> well, and I also read that you started out working for the the state parks, and so uh-huh. I, I had read you. I think we mentioned earlier. My friend Diana DeRosa had done an interview with you a long time ago, and you said at that point, "Yeah, you were going to slow down and not gallop into things anymore, but maybe more of a canter." So I thought, well, maybe he'll <laughs> take off across the country and do the national parks or something like that. But do you see yourself ever slowing down, or are you pretty much in it for the long haul? Oh, uh, I, I love pro- projects. I mean, what what is at the heart of all this is the love of two, two things, love of the horses and love of the people. Yes. And, and that's really what it comes down to. And so I, no, I couldn't imagine being separated from, you know, from either one mm-hmm. and just being on a rocking chair. Um, now that would be hard. That would be hard to imagine. Well, there's a um, picture of you on the Virginia Horse Center's website with a pony named Molly. Um, so I had a feeling you're still around. Do you have your own horses? No, not not anymore. Not okay, as not okay. as we speak. Um, that Molly is, if I'm remembering the the picture, I think is that a little pony? Yes, and she. Yeah. I think she has a, an artificial a, leg. That's it. Yes. yes. And she, you know, serves as an inspiration to really uh, probably more to, you know, to human beings and particularly young people. Right. And she served, yes, that's what it is. I mean, she serves as an inspiration, a very happy pony who just happens to only have three legs. Right. And um, she, she was very, very special. 
Yeah, she looks like it, and you look pretty pretty comfortable around her and happy to be with her. So I had a feeling there were still horses in the picture somewhere. So yeah. that's wonderful. So if if folks do want to get involved through supporting, donating, volunteering, what should they do? Uh, we'll put show notes with you know website information and all that. But what's the greatest need right now? Well, first of all, the the obvious answer is there's all kinds of information um, on you know, the website, sure. brookusa.org. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition to contributing whatever you can, there's always opportunities um, for volunteering when the world returns a li- little bit to normal to attending our events and to, you know, we do, a, you know, educational kind of um, informational um speaking events and, uh, you know, kind of uh, educational events throughout, you know, the horse world in the United States, mm-hmm. attending those and even using your own expertise. So I think those are examples as maybe to help us uh, spread the, you know, spread the world, the word. And I think that's, those are certainly examples of, what you can do now and a further example more specific is i think you're familiar with the uh movie that is going to launch i think mm-hmm. you mentioned it yes um and it's launching our power the power of one campaign that i and and the idea is typical of the creativity with this movie hope's legacy mm-hmm. which will launch this campaign which um, we have opportunities. It's it's on the 15th and 16th of October is the premiere that is special to Brook USA. The platform is the Equus Film Channel and that you have an opportunity to buy a ticket, uh, to have access to it, which is, again, going to be informational about Brook USA, but also extremely entertaining and touching movie with Diane Cannon, um, and, uh, I think for $25, you can buy a ticket, but then for 150, you get a VIP package, um, which includes goodies that you can see, see on the website, mm-hmm. but also includes a tax, uh, a partial tax, uh, deduction for that. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the fact that that's going to launch the power of one and, and the concept, you know, as, as you know, of the power of one is that one gift from one donor has a great deal of power. Yes. And, and it, our hope is a result of this in a year that we will be able to, through those powerful gifts from one individual, be able to raise a million dollars to be able to help um, the donkey mules and horses that are, uh, struggling around the world as as well as the people that they serve exactly you're absolutely right until we can yeah. do a sunset polo and white party and, and i'll attend that again we'll we'll be able to see things online so it'll be really good really good that, that's right and and, and it, which is a good point because even if we're not able to gather physically gathering virtually is a great contribution to spreading the good word of brook usa This episode of Brook USA on the Road has been brought to you by the Equus Film and Arts Fest. 
find us at www.equusfilmfestival.net. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me, John. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Well, I have too, Julianne. I really have. And uh, again, I'm uh, very humbled to be the first guest on uh, on our podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I can promise you in the weeks ahead, there are going to be some fascinating guests on the podcast. Uh, I know the board members that are, are going to be involved. And I want to make that point uh, before we before we sign off is that, uh, and I've been privileged to serve on a number of different boards, chaired one or two, mm-hmm. but I have to tell you this board of Brook USA, uh, represents some of the most remarkable people I have ever known. And it's a, it's a cohesive group, but everybody brings something different to the table. Um, and the enthusiasm, the happiness, the sense of purpose, um, the sense of responsibility of what we've undertaken is just universal on the board. But really remarkable people. We have tech, you know, technicians who are, are veterinarians. We have great in Dr. David Jones. We have uh, someone who has been involved with with Brooke and Brooke USA for. I'll just say this a number of decades and he was the, the he was the chair um, that launched Brook USA and and I am the the unworthy second chair of, <laughs> and I but he, say that. he's the most articulate uh, wonderful man and most articulate um, spokesman about the importance of what we're we're doing and uh, people who have expertise in marketing, people who have expertise in finance, which is very important very for, important for a, nonprofit. a 501c3 yes. that is growing so fast, right. <clears throat> people who have deep connections in the equestrian world. So it's a real wonderful recipe of mm-hmm. a board. And um, I'm just very proud, proud to be associated with them and and unworthy to be the chair this year. Well, I'm looking forward to speaking. I know I you mentioned Catherine earlier. Um, I'll be speaking with her coming up, and Jim Wolf, and a couple of different. I hope I get to speak to all of them. And the well, exciting, exciting. Yeah, thing they're too, representative of the of the real talent of the whole, uh, whole thing. Yeah, yes. of the whole board. And, and, and you have and some awesome um, ambassadors as well. And so I'm looking oh, forward yeah. to speaking to some of them too. So they'll bring a different conversation to the table for sure. Very generous with their time and with their effort and sharing their celebrity. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you again. And um, I hope I'll get to speak with you again before too long. Well, I would enjoy that, Julianne. And I really enjoy talking to you. And I look forward to hopefully we can do it again. Definitely. I'll see you at the Virginia Horse Center one of these days. Okay. I look forward (laughs) to seeing you. Thank you so much. Up next is our first Brook USA Ambassador feature. Jessica J.J. Tate made her FEI debut at just 16 years of age. Earning numerous national and regional titles, J.J. has trained and competed over 29 horses at the FEI level. Known for her classical education and elegant riding, she's a top competitor whose devotion to the very highest standards of horsemanship make her a positive role model 
J.J. has been long listed for the World Equestrian Games and represented the United States in competitions abroad. Recent notable wins include Dressage at Devon World Cup in 2018 and the Global Dressage Festival CD14 Grand Prix Freestyle in 2020. She also recently launched Team Tate Academy, which is an educational online program. It provides a forum, exercises and demonstrations, and even a Facebook group for participants called Team Tate TV. Allison Allie Brock was born in Honolulu and began riding as a seven-year-old. Her love affair with equestrian sports started with jumping, western riding, and being very active in pony club. She studied dressage with several notable professionals and credits Sue Blinks as being especially instrumental in training that shaped her into the professional that she is today. She's the head trainer at Deer Meadows Farm and rode Roosevelt, or Rosie, in the 2016 Olympic Games in Rio de Janeiro, where they brought home the bronze medal for Team USA. Allison rides and trains in Wellington, Florida, and is a member of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee, an organization that provides funding and support through mental health resources for Team USA athletes. She also serves on the USEF Board of Directors and has been an ambassador of Brook USA since 2016. The Equus Film and Arts Fest is proud to sponsor this episode of Brook USA on the Road. To learn more, listen to the Equus Film and Arts Fest podcast. For more exciting content, you can also tune in to Winnie Tales, Horse Stories, Pony Legends, and Unicorn Yarns, featuring the work of international equine clinician Bruce Anderson. You'll find these podcasts and more at equusfilmfestival.net or on any of your favorite podcast directories. Our next guests on this episode today are both well-known and beloved dressage riders on the international level, and perhaps most importantly, are Brook USA ambassadors. And it also helps that they're fabulous friends, or at least that's what they tell me. Is that true? Okay. The rumors are true. I figured you would tell me otherwise. So welcome, JJ. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So, Allie, welcome to you as well. Thank you. Happy to be here. Now, first of all, ladies, I've had the best time reading through your bios and looking at the online education that you offer and living vicariously through all of your experiences, to be honest. And so I have been told that you are really good friends. I'm glad to know that is true. <laughs> how did the two of you meet for the first time? How, how long have you known each other? Oh, that's a good question. I want to say through Becky Bundance. Well, and I remember, like, I think the first time I ever met you is after I had a very terrible pre-St. George at Lexington, Virginia. My horse was like, like on fire and like nuts and totally melting down. And I had to like retire out of the test. And uh, when I finally got him like safely out of the arena and like back to the barn, uh, Allie comes up and she's like, as soon as you get that horse under control, he's going to be extremely special. And so I was like, okay, well, it was totally out of control and wild, but you know, it was like, um, yeah. And then I think Ben with you, Becky, uh, who's a mutual like friend of ours and client, um, we kind of, yeah, just started connecting, and now yeah. um, we're very, very good friends. And Allie's actually my coach, so that's wow. pretty fun. Yeah, 
That is awesome. So, Ali, what was your perspective of that first ride that you saw? It takes a true, a true professional and a nice person to still come at it from that that thing of just not walking away and laugh, you know? Oh no, I I, I fully recognize what she was going through, and and I think that you know to ride at top sport, you're going to be on things that are a bit out of control at times, and I think that it's important to be to recognize that and also be supportive of your peers when they're going through something like that because just because it went a bit pear-shaped that day didn't mean that that was the way it was always going to be exactly and uh, and i just i think that kindness and um respect for others that are trying to do this sport is is key and well, I saw and just, it and I went, wow, you know, and of course she, she was still riding beautifully and, you know, she handled it perfectly. So I just, I think you need to, it's, it's easy to not acknowledge things, but I think it, the, the right thing to do is acknowledge when somebody does something really well, especially in a hard moment. Sure. So I always tell, I always tell my husband, like, if you're thinking something nice, you should say, you should say it, you know, yeah. because it is very, um, you know, we're all striving for such excellence that, you know, it, it a little encouragement from a friend or a colleague, you know, is uh, just means the world to everybody. Because at that moment, it, it didn't feel like success. You know, it was like I had to, you know, it's this wonderful, wonderful horse. And it was like I needed to retire out of the arena and to have, you know, a, a wonderful um, person I also respect and admire come up and, and acknowledge that was, you know, we just was a great connection, you know, even from the beginning. So, yeah. you know, when That's you think something point. nice, it's important to say something, say yeah. it, you know, let that person know, because we all need to know we've all been through it. You know, at the end of the day, I think everybody on the top level, like Allie was saying, um, knows what it takes. And we've all been in those shoes at some point or another. And so there's a lot of humility and support that goes on at the top levels which yeah. you know we're also the example for everyone so yeah. then when when we're that way um it creates a collective experience of um positive energy which is which is great yeah and ali you're you're currently teaching and and still doing your clinics and things like that we we were speaking for a minute before we actually started the podcast and so would you de- how would you describe your teaching style is that the way you are with all of your students i mean do you, are you hard on them or is it more coming at it from a supportive i mean i know uh, <laughs> i think i think that i have a very high I think I tailor my level of demand to the individual. And I think that if you're trying, if you're out there actively trying to coach and teach people that are trying to get on an international team, you, you damn well better know what it takes to get to that higher mark yourself. And, and I think the, the, I try to be extremely encouraging and supportive but also set the standard. Mm-hmm. And I am also, uh, for a teaching style, I am completely aware that many people often, they don't remember what you say, but they remember how you made them feel. Yes. So I that is something that I really hold close to my heart, and I try to make sure that uh, I want my students to walk away even from a hard moment feeling empowered. 
And it's not easy. I, from my own competing and learning process, which I'm still learning, I know it, there are a lot of highs and lows, and there are a lot of hard moments with what we do. And it's it's not it's not easy. And I think that's probably the the it's hard enough being the rider trying to do it and get your horse on part, but also being the coach, how do you manage that moment when it's not going the way that we all hope and regroup and connect and figure it out and, and all that. So it's, it's been, it's been a new challenge for me, for sure. Well, I, I think it's exciting that you're still coaching JJ. I, I mean, my brother, I'm 50 in my 50. Get on a team. Yeah. Well, yeah. We got stuff to do. That's right. Right. We got big goals. My my brother, I told my brother I was going for a lesson last week, and he said, um, you're 50-something years old. You're still taking lessons. You started riding <laughs> says that. Five. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, you got to understand. That's the way yeah. it is. Lifelong journey. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so yeah, JJ, you never stop learning. So, JJ, your online academy, was that was a brainchild of a conversation you had with Charles DeComfy, or you kind of yeah. kept it on your own? Well, you know, I've been riding with Charles DeComfy for probably 30, over 30 years. So he's been a mentor of mine, like my whole entire riding life. And, you know, he grew up in, in Europe, uh, going to the academies. And uh, back in those days, um, there was a sister school in Hungary, in Budapest. It was a sister school to the Spanish riding school in Vienna. And so before, you know, uh, the Russians sort of came and, um, destroyed what was in Budapest. Um, they were quite connected with the Spanish writing school. And so, you know, you heard all of these wonderful stories from Charles during that time of, of you know, learning in the classroom and having theory sessions and switching horses. And it's so different from the writing techniques that we learn in our once in a while clinics that sort of is how um, American writing style has kind of turned into. And so we always sort of thought uh, creating a little bit of a legacy for him because what he's meant to me in my life, I've always thought I would create some type of a canopy where people could come. I've, I've been a launch pad for a lot of uh, top young trainers that are now successful Grand Prix riders. And so it was sort of already happening, but it wasn't really exactly an academy. So then we thought, yeah, let's, we could have a bunkhouse here and maybe we're going to uh, build onto the arena for some classrooms and then you know, the coronavirus hit. And so no one was leaving their home and we were all stuck at home. So we, we made some, a quick right turn and went online. So we've uh, got like um, 475 members in the Academy and um, we're still growing. We're going to have our next launch uh, in the beginning of December. So if people need Christmas present ideas, you know, that's what we um, want to help them with. And it's been actually great fun. I mean, I just told my husband to grab a, grab the, the, his phone actually on his iPhone or grab the camera. And I'm like, I'm just going to talk through what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, how I'm doing it, why it's important. And, you know, give a little 15 minute tutorial on a whole bunch of different exercises. And, uh, it's been really well received once a month. I do a lecture and then people can sign up actually as a trainer and get once a month a lesson too. So 
yeah, it's Amazing. just really exploded. So it was a uh, good timing for a good idea. So it was great. Well, and I looked and you have membership packages, you have instructional videos, you have workbooks. And as I tried to look, I, there's a waiting list, so I can't even get in yet. So that's right. That's right. The doors, the doors are closed. So we're building yeah. the anticipation. So look, look in the beginning of December. Yeah, we're going to yeah. reopen before Christmas. That's great. Well, as you said, with with Charles DeComfy and um, my trainer, Mary Werning, was one of the few certified uh, instructors under Carl McCulka. And so listening to Carl's stories, I've put together a memorial tribute for him after his passing. And um, he he just listening to the stories of the old masters and learning exercise, just the whole thing. We've got to treasure that, you know, we We have to save it. We have to save it somehow. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and Carl was so, you know, with the Spanish writing school and everything. I mean, he's of that generation and we just have to, you know, hold that hold that close and keep sharing those stories and mm-hmm. um, keeping their legacy living on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I can tell the two of you definitely um, do have that camaraderie and that joy of being together. So I'm sure that's been part of what helped you to get together as Brook USA ambassadors and um, to do some work for Brook USA. So um, how, first of all, for, I'm going to ask each of you, how did you get involved with Brook USA in the first place? Allie, I think, were you first or, or was just, yes. okay. Um, so I, I work for Fritz and Claudine Kundren who are possibly the, the biggest donor in, for Brook USA. And um, they, they feel, I mean, they clearly very strongly support Brook USA and um, got involved, I want to say in 2008, maybe for the first time and have been steady donor since then. Mm-hmm. And um, it, to me, it's a, it's a, a support, you know, system. It's a charity that I think any equestrian can get behind wholeheartedly. Um, basically, because it, you know, when you take care of donkeys, you're taking care of people. For me, it was it was very, very, very easy to to get behind it because it's it really encompasses all of the aspects of animal care and then makes humans' lives better. The minute you hear about how it works, it's not one of these charities that you just give money to and you feel good because you're giving back. I mean, it is really sustainable. And what I found really inspiring was that we have a passion about horses and I mean, any donkeys, mules, like we love animals, everybody in the barn, we all got dogs and cats and, you know, um, to feel extremely helpful to help the horses but then you meet the people and you see the people and you see actually how helping them learn how to care for their donkey or mule or horse uh, we're helping the horse's life but we're actually it's life changing for the people and it's amazing like it's also sustainable as well because it isn't like we send money over and we just send them products or like, we actually work with the products and the material that is available for them where they live. So um, like, we'll get into this later too, but you work with what they have access to. And so it isn't like this, this, oh, we'll send you water buckets. It's like, 
we're going to find a way to work with the, the, you know, old tires that are on the side of the road. We can make that a feed bin, you know, with a simple way of, you know, we were, we took ropes and made halters. I mean, it wasn't like we were sending halters over, like you really create pride for the people um, by teaching them skills that will help them have their horses. And so then the horses get better cared for, but it's so much about education and using sustainable ways for that. It's not like we swoop in and we save them and we, and then we leave. It's like, we go there, we educate them on a lot of different ways of not only care, but on the, on the material that's available to them. And then, then we leave them all in a better way. You know, that was a really, the fact that it was also sustainable was really like you really felt like you could make a difference and change people's lives, not just for that two months, but like going forward forever, you know, and that was uh, really something that moved me and um, I wanted to be a part of for sure. So the situation that you're describing, I know the two of you have been to Guatemala. Was yeah. that when and, and where you've, you've worked together initially on this? Uh, yeah, the first trip we took out of country. And I will tell you, I think every American should get on a plane and go to a third world country and see how the rest of the world lives. Because Amen. I tell you, it's it wasn't my first time in a third world country. And for sure, it wasn't JJ's either. But it is eye opening in a way that, you know, we live very well here, put it that way. And I, the Guatemala trip I thought was great because we went, you know, into an area, I think it's called the dry corridor, where they'd been, uh, Brooke USA had been partnering and, and with a, a group called ESAP, which is Healthy Equines for the People. Um, and they'd been there for a little while. And what they do, though, is they go in, same, they educate these, these mostly women mm -hmm. in the villages and, you know, how to take care of their donkeys, how what's acceptable amounts of weight for their donkeys, because we got to go see what the donkey, how much water these donkeys were hauling up mm. from a brook up into up to the mountain. I mean, it, it is un, unbelievable what these women do. And it's unbelievable what these donkeys do. Guatemala is one of Central America's most populous countries with a diverse population and rich cultural heritage. However, it is plagued by high poverty rates that affect about 60% of the population, particularly in rural areas with indigenous communities. The climate in Guatemala is generally pleasant, but Brook interventions focus on the dry corridor in the eastern part of the country, which is prone to drought. The survival of most of this region's 3.5 million inhabitants relies on the working horses, donkeys, and mules who help them produce food, carry goods, and transport people. Working equines underpin the livelihoods of some of Guatemala's poorest communities. Without their animals' good health and ability to work, families will go without food, children will be unable to attend school, and people will be unable to build a better future for themselves. Drought and low income results in less feed and water for the equines and less money for good farriery, harnessing, and medicine. 
Some equine owners feel the pressure to earn as much money as possible, even at the expense of their animals. They know little about animal welfare and do not have the resources to provide needed veterinary care. As a result, 228,000 horses, donkeys, and mules in Guatemala suffer under extreme conditions, failing health and injuries. When people can't care for their animals, the animals can't care for their people. Brook USA raises funds to support critically important efforts in Guatemala to improve the welfare of working equines. A longer life and better service from a horse, donkey, or mule means a better livelihood for many people of Guatemala. Equinos Sanos para el Pueblo, or ESAP, is Brook USA's partner in country. They work in the departments of Zacapa, Chiquimula, El Progreso, and Jalapa, focusing on building the capacity of local service providers by working with them on project sites and identifying gaps in service provision, engaging the community to fully assess their needs and gain their trust, conducting educational programs that teach equine welfare best practices, training local service providers to improve their skills to deliver high-quality, affordable services, helping the owners appreciate their equines beyond the work they can perform. It was also, I think, very good, and I'm speaking a little bit for myself right now, to see how well-received the Brook USA and ESAP was in the villages. They, they create these relationships. It's respectful, you know, and so it's not like we're coming in there and forcing stuff on them. They want to learn, and they want to take care of their animals better, um, and they want to do the right thing. Right. So it was, for me, it was really uh, an important trip and a good trip. And it just re, not that I needed any help, but it makes you so <laughs> uh, convicted in saying this is a great organization that's doing many, many, many great things for, for animals and for people. And boy, we should support it. And you describe yeah. the conditions for the women, at the length of the trip, the journey they have to make up. Imagine if they yeah. don't have the donkey and that's them. Yes, they that. become the donkey. Exactly. Right. They exactly. become the donkey. Right. And, and this is where just it, so they need those animals and, yeah. and, um, and they want to take good care of them. And they're also in a, in a bit of a cultural shift right now too, where I don't, I think when we were there, I think, when was it in 2017? Or 2017. I think they were the last. I think in Guatemala they were they were trying to pass a bill saying you know because there's nothing for animal cruelty. Like you could do whatever you wanted to anything, and it and there was no way to there were no repercussions for it. And I think they were trying to get some animal cruelty laws put into place, but just culturally changing the attitude that the donkey's actually you know part of your family, not just a thing. Mm -hmm. that you're going to use to get until, you know, said thing is done. And even how they were starting and handling some of the donkeys, they had brought in a trainer to help change also that mindset because it was quite abusive in some areas. So they're, it's, they're trying and they found a correlation that if you teach people how to treat their animals better, they treat their wives better and their right. kids better. You know, sometimes we post disturbing photos on Facebook about, how thin some of the horses, and not from our trip from Guatemala, but just in general, because this this is what's happening. You know, whether you yeah. want to look at it or not, yeah. this is happening. 
Right. And, you know, you see a lot of like the little angry emoji, you know, that people are like mad. And then it's like, but look at the man standing next to the donkey. He's gaunt. He's starving. Right. He's desperate, you know. And yeah. so for us to kind of be able to have um, empathy for that third world, it is really desperate times, you know, and not being able to drink the water. And I mean, there's just so many things that we kind of look at it from the context of our very, very comfortable lives. Mm -hmm. And we get mad that, you know, these donkeys are being treated in a way. And it's like, but that's what the brook is for, is to help those people, like Ali was saying, when they treat, you know, they need to give the horse this much water or give the donkey um, make pads around on their harness right. and treat their legs properly. And the vet needs to come and do their teeth, you know, and give them proper shade. You know, then the donkey gives them back so much more when they give back to the donkey. And for them to learn how to understand that, um, it's just really a beautiful thing. And to see the women, um, also being really empowered to, you know, treat the donkey in a way that is so much kinder and that they're a real partner with them. You know, that's also a pretty special thing, you know, to watch uh, as well. Because, I mean, I went on a trip to Africa uh, and there were many, many women hiking around barefoot with, you know, the the giant water thing on their back and you know it's uh these donkeys it's there they have to be part of these people's families in order to get that water you know whatever that's going to be used for to gather sticks so they can go down to the village and earn money you know it's it's just amazing how big of a piece of their lives you know these these working animals are and uh to be part of something that uh, really changes people's perspectives and can help see the donkeys and horses in a different way is, is extremely powerful. Well, the two of you, the experience in Guatemala and, and, you know, obviously with other travels that you've had, you've seen all of this firsthand. So what are some of the other initiatives that you've been a part of through the Brook USA organization? Um, how have you been able, as an ambassador, what, what's your role? How do you help? Allie, how, how did you get started actually going and, and on-site doing things? Basically, the, Brooke USA says, we need you here. And we show up. And we're like, <laughs> we're there. You know, that's what we do, with whether it's, you know, for a fundraiser or celebrity bartending at WEG, which we both, JJ and I, participated in. Um, I have a really good friend named Amanda Timolat who I actually, she and I were both working students for Sue Blanks at the same time, many, 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 many years ago. And um, in 2016, she, um, this is going to sound so random, but I'll just tell the story. She decided to make shirts for her miniature pygmy goats that had me on, me and, and Roosevelt on them, you know, basically Allie Brock 2016, Rio 2016. And they were really cute. And she said, you know what? This is a really good idea. I think I'm gonna actually make these shirts and sell them to raise money for Brook USA. And, sh and she did. She did. Yeah. And so, you know, and that was all, honestly, that was all her. And it, it was 
it was really, I'm not quite sure what they pulled in, but you know, it was just a nice way to be part of something with yeah. that. So we, we basically, or at least that's been my experience. <laughs> Call us up yeah. right here. You just do it. We're there. So whatever that may mean. I'm going sorry. To okay. You're going to go bartend. Okay. We're going to do this fundraiser. Got it. You're going to do this. All right. The last thing before COVID hit is I had agreed for the sunset, the white party, that I was going to get on a polo pony and go gallop it around. <laughs> I did not hear about that. Yeah, oh, that's, that, that, was, that got canceled. Yeah, that got canceled. But I had agreed to do that. I thought that would be really fun. Well, canceled the <laughs> wrong word. Postpone. Postpone. So next yes, year. Exactly. I mean, I think that's something that should still be on the agenda for the next one. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I'm starting to see the interconnectedness between a lot of you and, and the Sunset Polo Party and things. I've, I was reading up um, and preparing to talk with um, Mary Alice Monroe, and somehow I found a page with lip balm on it that mentioned the two <laughs> of you and this party and these things. And I was like, ah, so I'm seeing that you're, you all do work so well together. So tell me about the lip balm. I needed some the other day. I need some. <laughs> Well, Leslie Munzel is amazing and she has wonderful, she's a dressage writer and she um, had this great idea to like make different shades for all of the different Brooke ambassadors. And um, it's just so funny because I'm sure like Allie and I both like, we're not like big makeup wearers. So at first it seemed a little random, like, yeah, let's, okay. let's do the makeup. You know, and I'm like, I can't even remember the last time I, put lipstick on except to horse show you know so then it worked out perfectly that um leslie came up with this awesome idea and so we've all got a different shade and um leslie i, I now like wear her um foundation every day like she's yeah. because she's a rider she's really made horse friendly um like horsewoman friendly makeup and so I have to say, like, it's all mineral based and it's incredible. I wear the foundation every day. Um, it has some great sun shield to it. Um, I don't wear the lipstick every day, um, but I do have probably one of every color, just in case it depends what kind of, you know, if you're, you know, yeah, and need a little more wild color, then you can pick from your eventing friends, which is Allison Springer and um Sinead. Yeah, Sinead. Yeah, I think I've got the Sinead. Um, and Debbie McDonald, I mean, Casey Perry, like everyone's got a great shade. So that was really fun. And we had a really fun photo shoot, which we all got to get like dressed up. I don't even think we recognized each no. other or ourselves because like your hair's <laughs> down and, you know, we're like, who are those people there? They, they, they dress up pretty good. Yeah, I mean, because we're always in hats and helmets and dirty and sweaty <laughs> right you never so that was as your bar for barn friends when you're somewhere exactly i mean who would have ever thought like let's get together with a makeup company and leslie was amazing to to have in part of that and i have to um, take little credit for that okay <laughs> i actually met leslie at a clinic that i was doing in fort lauderdale and she asked me about brook usa and so I said, call Emily Doolin. And you put and all that, that was the yeah. initial connection. And, well, I, and cool. I'm just like JJ, like I use Leslie's products now too, but it, I mean, it takes a lot to get me to put makeup on. <laughs> like it's a big ask. It's a big, big ask. Well, so, so did you all get to pick your color? I mean, if it's going to represent yeah. you from here, yeah, yeah, yeah. you get to pick yeah. it. Yeah. 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 
it's yeah, mine yeah. looks very hot pink it does not look hot pink when you put it on i just want to put that out there so yeah, mine, <laughs> mine is mine is very neutral and it, it's funny i just ran into Susie duda and said hi to her and the first and she's walking away she says by the way Allie, i wear your lip balm all the time all the time <laughs> and, and i'm thinking okay well that's random but you know that's great. those are kind of out of the box ideas i mean and they like encourage us to have um i think last year for my birthday i have a uh, birthday always in march so it's always during the season and we um at my sponsor's barn uh, yellowbird farm we have got a wonderful we call it the party room and we have all kinds of different sponsor stuff there and lectures and stuff. And so we had a party uh, kind of for my birthday and, you know, we had different people come and uh, sell some things. You know, people could also give donations. And then my dad uh, was down there also, which was kind of a rare, like it was awesome that he'd been visiting that week. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to match whatever um, you raise. And so that was a really fun fundraiser too. And instead of, you know, bringing a bottle of wine or flowers or a gift. It was just like, hey, donate to Brook USA because that's um, something close to my heart. There's just such a great creative force that they really um, have fun ideas. Um, last fall, I think it was, um, we did this thing, Sally Frick, uh, who is in the orchestra in Spartanburg. She owns a farm just around the corner from me and she had just randomly texted me. She's like, I've got this great idea. Would you be interested in doing some like Grand Prix freestyle to a live orchestra? And I thought, yeah. So we created this um, Divermentos and Dressage. And so I rode um, two Grand Prix freestyles with a live orchestra. And it was a really cool event. It was really um it turned out, I mean, it was, I've never done anything like that before. And that was, I love to, I love music and I love writing freestyles, but to ride to a real orchestra, it was a really special event. So of course this year we postponed it due to, um, you know, the COVID uh, epidemic, but um, we hope to bring it back <laughs> next year. And uh, it was, it was a lot of fun. That's an amazing idea. And I'm just going to say, I'm in Camden, so I'm not far from you. And we host the Equus Film Festival Tour Stop every spring. So I think y'all need to go on the road and come up and put together a performance for us. at the Yeah, Park. yeah. I'm sure I could <laughs> talk her into that. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. Well, another outside of the box idea is this premiere, actually, of Hope's Legacy. And so I'm really excited about that. It's definitely another, you know, COVID, COVID has changed the way we do things as far as film festivals and, and premieres and everything else. So what a great idea to use that as a fundraiser for Brook USA. And one thing that I like to do personally is I, I actually, for my birthday, and also I do this a lot for Christmas too, I ask my family members to make a donation to mm -hmm. Brook USA um, instead of giving me something or... Mm -hmm. um, and I also, too, like, I'll do that a lot for Christmas presents. Yep. For people, yep. I'll make a donation in their name or in their honor. Um, and then they get notified about it. So that's one thing that I, I regularly do and have done in the past. That's yep. a great idea. Yep. And the Me website, too. there are all kinds of ways to shop on the Brook USA website, brookusa.org. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, like, I... <laughs> I had I had seen Kendall actually wearing uh, the raincoat, the white Brook USA raincoat, and I'm like, 
where do you get that? You know, and she was like, oh, you get it at Polo Gear. And so I got myself a raincoat and then um, Allison Springer's, I was coaching Allison and of course she's an event rider. So it's, it's always raining uh, in the spring when we're getting ready to, um, you know, run Rolex, which I know it's, it's now Land Rover. It's not Rolex anymore, but it's always, you know, so I've always got my Brook, my white, it's so sharp, my white um, Brook USA raincoat, but we have a backpack, you know, it's uh, again, always the, the bright, you know, Brook USA orange, uh, but we've got a backpack that we, that's our show bag, you know, so we have that always at the warm up at all the shows and um, yeah, they got really nice shirts and you can put it on, of course, you can't show with it on your saddle pads, but we've got saddle pads with the Brook um, logo on it. And when you go to Polo Gear, you know, they're also not only are you going to spread the brand, you know, by buying some of those. I love my hat. Um, you know, you're going to spread the brand also by buying, but you're also going to support the Brook directly because part of the proceeds go uh, directly to them from from there. And yeah, I mean, Facebook is always a great place too. like always, you know, for our birthdays or you know, whatever, um, giving Tuesdays, you know, that you can always just find a way to, um, do your own part. And it's, it's amazing, you know, again, like the, the power of one, you know, if you make a donation, you know, uh, of a dollar and a million people give $1, I mean, that's, there you go. That's really powerful. Exactly. Well, and, and I think that this um, this event is going to be a good kickoff, too. So to purchase tickets for that, folks can go and visit the website at brookusa.org, Films for a Cause. And um, there's a segment in there, a, a separate page in there, that you'll be able to see something about the films and how to log in and um, how to be a part of all of that. So so really, really great events, great things. So ladies, thank you so much. It's a shame that y'all don't get along any better, but I'm sure working together as <laughs> Brooke ambassadors, you know, that, that will come, but no, in all seriousness, thank you for the work that you do. Um, it's, it's really, it's really special. It's, it's our, it's our pleasure. Yeah. And I think that it's our passion. And I think if you're involved in equestrian sport, especially at this level, that, that you owe it to be taking care of the horses and donkeys that aren't being pampered and living, you know, our horses live better than many people, you know, and I think that's also too why the uh, Brook USA has been, has done a really good job um, in the town of Wellington, Florida during the winter time. It's, it, that's a great place to really raise awareness mm-hmm. for many, many equestrians and um, fundraising has been pretty successful here. And it's amazing, like, when you think about what we spend on a new bridal that we maybe or maybe not need, or a fancy brow band, or the horse needs a massage, and when you can take that same money and sponsor basically, like, five horses for a whole entire year, or you can pay for a um, cement drinking trough with some shade, Right. I mean, it's amazing how far the dollar goes in these countries. And so, you know, if you could give up, you know, one little thing that like our horses don't necessarily need that new saddle pad or you maybe don't need that new helmet, you right. know, and it, because it, your old one, not that you fell off, 
but that like your old one just isn't quite the same color anymore. You know, it's amazing how like that goes so far in these countries. And you can really touch a lot of different people's lives and improve the lives of children and improve the lives of women all by helping these horses and donkeys and mules. So it's pretty powerful. Well, I will look forward to catching up with the two of you again, maybe after this event, and we'll see how it goes. And um, thank you for all that you do. Yeah, thank you so much. And everybody check out the Brook USA. Thank you. Please join us on our next episode of Brook USA on the Road for an update on the donkey hide crisis from Board Vice Chair Catherine Kana. You'll also hear from Alfonso Lopez of the Becker Federal Lobbying Practice, who will represent Brook USA at the upcoming Donkey Wellness Symposium. And finally, catch up with Ambassador Mary Alice Monroe, New York Times bestselling author. If you'd like to support Brook USA and help this work continue, you can donate by texting ORANGE to 71760.